feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. Latest on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And good evening. This is the Rita Cosby Show, and we are talking about the latest details in Ukraine. Big news tonight as President Zelensky of Ukraine saying that negotiations with Russia are just words, that they are simply words, and that is it. And that they do not believe that Russia is saying it is basically de-escalating the conflict and moving toward the eastern part of the country. And meantime, lots of details coming out. The city of Irpin was liberated from Russian control by Ukrainian forces. That happened on March 28th. But tonight... The mayor of Irpin is saying in a televised broadcast, get this, that 50 percent of the city and its critical infrastructure has been destroyed. And the rubble is so intense that it will take a long, long time for it to be cleared. Also, the city of Mariupol is going through incredible devastation And I want to hear your thoughts tonight as to where you think the battle is going. Do you trust the Russians that have been claiming that as they are in peace talks with the Ukrainians, that do you believe that they are indeed pulling back in some form? Because at this hour, shelling is continued in Kiev and so many other major cities. And in fact, the Pentagon is saying that the shelling has only intensified. So can we believe anything that the Russians are saying? They were like, oh, yeah, we're not necessarily going to be going even into Ukraine. Sure enough, they did. They keep changing their messaging. And many people are believing that instead of de-escalating, what they are actually doing is just reconstituting, reshaping their message, and maybe planning a second phase of attacks. I personally don't think that you can trust them. And I think history has shown, as we have seen in the last few months, with the Russians, with Ukraine, it's been over a month. They've been building up on their forces all along so many different cities. And I think tonight that maybe the worst is yet to come. And that is really scary. And lots of information, too, that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, where apparently it looks like Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, may not be getting the full story that people who are communicating with him maybe are not telling him all the information about how bad the Russians are doing and what kind of disarray that they are in. So do you think that that's part of the picture? Do you think it's making excuses? Or do you think that Vladimir Putin does indeed sort of live in a bubble, maybe doesn't realize how bad the Russians apparently are getting their butts kicked by the Ukrainians? I mean, if you look at it, There have been staggering numbers of Russians that have been killed, many Ukrainians, too, of course, and cities leveled, you know, for generations to come where there will be damage from this war, even if it ends tomorrow. And, of course, we're all praying for peace. But it really looks like the Russians right now 
clearly cannot be trusted in these peace talks as they say, well, we're de-escalating. Meantime, they seem to be pounding the heck out of these cities. And I want to get your take as to what you think is next. Can we trust the Russians in any shape or form? And where do you see as the next phase of the battle happening in Ukraine? Because as I mentioned in Irpin in particular, they have enormous destruction. That's even the city that the Ukrainians were able to take back from the Russians. And, of course, we hope that we're going to see more of that in time to come. Still, we're also getting reports that a lot of the hardware that was promised to the Ukrainians from the U.S. and other countries still has not arrived. What is taking America so long? We're at this pivotal, pivotal moment where when you see what's happening, the fact that the Ukrainian forces, which, again, it's been like a David and Goliath, the fact that they have been able to take back Erpine and look like they are still holding on in so many other key cities. Why is the U.S. waiting? What the heck are we waiting for? Why is the U.S. and why are some of these other countries that have promised lots of money, billions upon billions of dollars of hardware to come directly to the Ukrainian military. We still haven't given the MiGs. We haven't cleared the MiGs even for other countries to give it as part of NATO. But they've been saying, where are the surface-to-air missiles that you promised? Where are the extra javelins, the extra stingers? Where are some of the radar systems that you talked about? Still, we are getting details in the last few hours that Zelensky today was basically saying, where are they? We need them now. It's not like Ukraine can sit back and say, let's get them in three or four months. What is the bureaucracy that is holding this up? And why has the U.S. not hustled in making sure that the minute that they said they were going to get it, that they didn't expedite things to get to them? What are your thoughts, everybody, as to where this is going and what some of these delays could be? It's 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. And you're listening to The Rita Cosby Show. By the way, we got a blockbuster show tonight here. We are going to be talking to New York's first female governor, Kathy Hochul. Uh, it is Women's History Month, March. One more day left of it. And she is going to be joining us here on the show exclusively at 1035. So in just a few minutes or so from now, she's going to be joining us and is going to be talking about women's issues. There's a lot of hot issues Right now, front row and center, not just in New York, but really around the country. And she's going to be talking about more women in law enforcement, the issue of sexual harassment. Remember, she stepped in after Andrew Cuomo. So talk about a very interesting time to have the first female governor of New York. We're going to talk about that. Also, I can't wait to talk with her about Hillary Clinton and also Katanji Brown Jackson, the Supreme Court nominee. Lots of big Huge issues on the plate, uh, all focused on women's issues as it is Women's History Month. And again, an exclusive interview with Governor Kathy Hochul coming up just in about 20 minutes or so here on the show. We're also going to be talking about Eric Adams and his plan to get rid of homeless encampments. This is a huge issue across the country in New York, of course, in California, And so many places around America where homelessness and crime have been on the rise. He is now going into all these different encampments and basically shutting them down, 
saying, I want to have compassion for those who are homeless, but I also want to make sure that they are not basically building mini houses on the street, as many of them are, not just in New York, but around the country. How much of a role does that play with crime across New York and across the country? And what can we do to help these folks and also make sure that the rest of New York and other big cities are safe? And I can't wait to get your take on that. And also more developments happening with Will Smith, as now we're finding out that the Academy the of Motion Picture and Sciences, this is the Academy Awards group, basically said to him, you got to leave after he slapped Chris Rock live on national television. They wanted him to leave, but he refused to leave. And they are now opening an investigation to take disciplinary action against the actor. And I can't wait to get your take on that. So we have a big show tonight here on The Rita Cosby Show. And, of course, we are talking about the very latest on Russia, Ukraine, because right now, Russian forces, despite them saying that they are de-escalating while peace talks are underway, there is no sign that there is any de-escalation. And the devastation that they have done to major cities, as I mentioned, like Irpin and particularly Mariupol, that was, of course, where that theater was that was struck, that was marked children, and they still hit it. And there was over a 1,000 women and children inside when they did that strike. Well, that city is decimated. Take a listen. This is John Kirby, Pentagon spokesperson, talking about that today. Devastating what we're seeing there. I'm going to – I'll let uh, uh, experts decide how they want to characterize it or label it. But it is obviously devastating. You don't have to look any further than the imagery that that your network is showing as well as so many other news outlets to see – um, uh, just how significant the damage uh, the Russians are doing in, in Mariupol um, and the devastating effects that it's having there on on what can only be described as the civilian infrastructure, uh, residential buildings, hospitals, um, recreation uh, parks, everything. I mean, the place is just being decimated uh, from a structural perspective uh, by the the onslaught of, of, of Russian airstrikes. Destroyed and decimated by Russian airstrikes. And again, the Russians saying, oh, no, 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 we're backing off, even though at the same time there are reports that they're bringing in backups, reinforcements from the country of Georgia. Here's a little more of John Kirby tonight saying that they don't believe the Russians are backing off in any shape or form. So on the withdrawal, we uh, um, uh, we have seen over the last uh, 24 hours um, uh, the repositioning of a, a small percentage uh, of the troops that and the battalion tactical groups that Russia had arrayed against Kiev, probably in the neighborhood of 20 percent of what they had, uh, they are beginning to reposition. Some of those troops we assess uh, are repositioning into Belarus. Um, uh, we don't have an exact number for you, uh, but that's our early assessments. Uh, none of them, we have seen none of them uh, reposition to their home garrison. And that's not a small point. Uh, if the Russians are serious about de-escalating, because that's their claim here, then they should send them home. But they're not doing that, at least not yet. So that's not what we're seeing. Very interesting points. The U.S. being very skeptical of any proposition that the Russians are genuine in peace talks. And 
Boy, I can understand why. What are your thoughts, everybody? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Joe on line two. Joe, your thoughts about this, and where do you think the Russian forces are going? Are they reconstituting, planning like a plan B, if you will, uh, sadly for the Ukrainian people? Yes, I think they're still going after him. But I'll tell you, reader, I think there was a little divine intervention here. From what I understand and I found out, there was a, a luminous cross over the church of Kiev, St. Michael, and they saw luminous angels. And uh, Ukrainian people have been doing a very good job under the circumstances. But I want to also make this point. We can't be held hostage. The United States is afraid of a nuclear war. And I think uh, we shouldn't be held hostage like this. We got to go after this guy for the war crimes. They got to go after him and get him. He's got to be stopped. We got to work out a plan to stop this, even if they have to send military aid in there. This can't continue. They're destroying the country. Yeah, and it's, and it's going to be generations to come, Joe. Too, as you bring up, um, Joe. Thank you. Great call. But you're right. Um, sadly. The destruction of Ukraine, even this town of Irpin, which the Russians seized. Again, we're just getting reports that 50 percent of the city and its critical infrastructure has been destroyed. And in the town of Mariupol, they believe it's 90 percent, nine zero percent. I mean, you don't just suddenly say, OK, everybody come on back in and live in a city that looks like that. It is going to be, you know, generations until the ravages of this war, even if they left tomorrow. Uh, would not show on Ukraine. And listen, we are all praying for peace. Uh, but clearly, Putin, I think there are so many questions about his sincerity and the Russian sincerity in any shape or form. Let's go to William on line one. William, your thoughts about where the war is headed right now, William? Uh, you know what? I, I, I keep on thinking about Putin, and that guy is nothing but a, like a murderous thug and he's so bent on like destroying and his reputation is at stake and i was thinking too like remember when he left all those uh those kids on that russian nuclear sub in the bering straits the kursk and he went out to his bahama vacation with his wife or girlfriend and all of those poor soldiers died down there without the blink of an eye rita this guy is he needs to be stopped and there needs to be an intervention people need to come together yeah and by the way i'm praying that some of these oligarchs take some action william you know in some shape or form uh because they're the ones around him the generals around him i mean there there are so many of these folks who you know he seems limiting as to who he has but he does have some people still in his inner circle, and I wonder what they are thinking tonight. William, thank you. Great call. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody, after the break, one 800 848 And you're listening to The Rita Cosby Show. We're going to continue talking about Russia, Ukraine. And then in about 15 minutes or so from now, an exclusive interview with New York's first female governor, Governor Kathy Hochul. It is Women's History Month. And boy, are there a lot of red-hot issues about women on the plate, sexual harassment, women in law enforcement, Hillary Clinton. I'm looking forward to having the governor coming up in 15 minutes here exclusively on The Rita Cosby Show. It's The Rita Cosby Show.
And you are listening to the Rita Cosby Show coming up in just a few minutes, about 10 minutes. We're going to have an exclusive interview with New York's Governor Kathy Hochul. It's Women's History Month, and there's a lot of big issues on the women front, which I'm looking forward to talking with her about. She's going to be joining us again about 10 minutes or so from now here on the show. Definitely stay tuned for that, everybody. And we are talking, of course, about Russia, Ukraine, because there are reports that the Russians are saying, oh, we're moving back. But if you look at the evidence of where the true positions are, they basically look like they are just reconstituting and reshaping as opposed to going home. Meantime, also, White House Communications Director Kate Bedingfield said today that they have intelligence on the U.S. side that maybe Putin isn't getting the full picture from his right-hand men in his inner circle, that basically his intel guys are not telling him how badly the Russian troops and the Russian hardware are performing. Take a listen to this exchange. This is really interesting, coming from the White House press briefing a few hours ago. If Putin has bad information, where do you classify U.S. intelligence? What does that mean for the war in Ukraine and the prospects for negotiations right now? Well, I certainly am not a spokesperson for the Kremlin and cannot speak to what is in Vladimir Putin's head. Uh, What I can say uh, is, of course, we have information that Putin felt misled by the Russian military, which has resulted in persistent tension between Putin and his military leadership. We believe that Putin is being misinformed by his advisors about how badly the Russian military is performing and how the Russian economy is being crippled by sanctions because his senior advisors are too afraid to tell him the truth. So it is increasingly clear uh, that Putin's war has been a strategic blunder that has left Russia weaker over the long term and increasingly isolated on the world stage. And boy, when you hear that, it makes you wonder what information is he getting? What is he not getting? What are they telling him? Oh, these are all fake headlines that 13, 15, 17,000, depending on which report you read, of U.S. Uh, Russian troops have been killed. Can you believe what we are getting from intelligence? Or is that sort of a smokescreen? Maybe they are shielding him. Maybe they're saying, hey, the Russians are doing great. Don't believe these reports about the Ukrainians. But surely he's got to get information, especially when he hears that maybe up to seven generals have been killed. That's a big amount. So where do you see this headed, and do you think they are planning a phase B for the people of Ukraine, which is really, really scary if you hear reports of all of this? Let's go to Marianne on line four. Marianne, your thoughts about this? You're listening to The Rita Cosby Show. Hi, Rita. Uh, I think that, see, I I want no war, okay? I don't want a war at all. But by the, by the way, is, nor nor do I. I, it, no, I it's heartbreaking to see. I agree with is, you. It is. But I think Biden is so compromised that he can't think straight. He just can't. And NATO is not helping any. And so how, how, do, how do you see it? How do you see it going? Because we're hearing that there are now delays in getting the equipment to Ukraine. Granted, by the way, Marianne, granted, yeah. there's a lot of logistical issues of getting oh, yes, equipment I in. Know. But but I, I just know. think I think there are so many complexities right now. And I think it's such a tenuous time. And I think there's such uncertainty when you're dealing with a nuclear nation, a nation that is chemical, biological weapons as well, a guy who seems unhinged, Putin. 
So uh, that combination's a really dangerous combo. Let's go to uh, Jimmy in Staten Island. Jimmy, your thoughts about all this. Where do you see this headed? And do you believe that Putin maybe isn't getting all the details? God bless you. Yes, I do believe that because who's to trust them? I don't trust them since Stalin. That's number one. The other thing that frightens me terribly so is that they, he keeps saying that we're going to move back. We're going to get, set our troops back, all that. We're, you know, we're lightening up. But it makes me frightened because get his people out of the way. And I know it sounds terrible, but war is terrible. That gas, that gas that uh, I believe. Oh, you know what, Jimmy? Jimmy, that's actually a really powerful point. Could he be moving him back and planning something more nefarious? Let's hope to God not. Um, But that's a really interesting, important point. Wow. Everybody, when we come back, we're going to do our beautiful Back the Blue segment and also an exclusive with New York's governor, Kathy Hochul. Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, which I love doing every night here on the Rita Cosby Show, two North Texas police officers have received a national award from the U.S. Attorney General. The Irving, Texas Police Department just announced that two of its officers are recipients of the fifth annual Attorney General's Award for Distinguished Service for their efforts to respond to a drowning in progress in the winter of 2021. It happened when a family ventured out onto an ice-covered pond to take photos, but the father and the mother had fallen through the ice. And the officers worked with the fire department, helping by sliding two ladders onto the ice. But the mother was succumbing to cold and began to go under the water. That's when one of the officers immediately crawled out on the ladder and held the woman's face above the water. Then the ice cracked and he went in. He was able to save the woman and also the husband. And they worked together to pull them out. They both showed signs of hypothermia. Both were transported to the hospital where they both incredibly survived and both of the officers also did okay as well and were happy to be able to help this couple and save their lives. Bravo to our great men and women in blue. March is celebrated as Women's History Month, recognizing the vital role of women in our country's history. And joining us now for an exclusive interview is someone who is a true female trailblazer, New York's first female governor, Kathy Hochul. Governor Hochul, so great to have you with us. Thank you, Reed. I really appreciate uh, you having me on your show, especially during Women's History Month. Absolutely. You know, what does it mean to you personally to have been New York State's first female governor? That's a very big deal. Well, thank you. And I appreciate that. And I've always thought about it in one way. It's not about making history. It's about making a difference. And while I'm in this position, I hope to leave a legacy of accomplishment and leading a very different way, but a just as impactful way. So forevermore, the doors will be open to other women. I want to make sure that people can actually see a woman govern with strength, but also heart and compassion, and to lead a place that many people for a long time have thought could only be governed by a place a place like this by a man. But after I'm done, hopefully people say, no, nope, women can do it. They do it well. And uh, other women, in the, you know, born and unborn, uh, will still be able to in the future be able to know that there's no barriers to whatever they want to achieve, including governing the 
most uh, fascinating place in their country, and that is the state of New York. Absolutely. And tell me about the importance of recognizing women's accomplishments throughout history. What does it mean, too, and why is this so pivotal? It's really an important time, and I do this throughout the year, but especially this month, to share the stories of the people who came before us because New York State has that amazing distinction of being the birthplace of the women's rights movement. I look back and think about the women who gathered at places like Seneca Falls far back as 1848 when the very first women's rights convention was held, and the, the courage that they had to go against the tides of their time and stand up against you know, the voices of their community and their husbands many times and their churches, and they had such a desire to help make lives of women better, give them rights that, that were denied them for too long, and even the, the audacity of having the idea that women should have a right to vote. It took a long time, and I think that's also a lesson to know that these were hard-fought gains that took place over you know, a couple of centuries. 1848 is when the movement started, and that women have really been through a lot through history. And I look back at people like Susan B. Anthony and Sojourner Truth and celebrate their work. I have uh, memorabilia from both of them in my office, a, a statue of Sojourner Truth right near my desk that I used for inspiration, as well as look at a gavel that was used by Susan B. Anthony at a convention, a women's rights convention. Uh, so many women from the past, and they gave us the future we have today. But it also reminds me we have a responsibility to future generations to take the torch that was passed to us by these brave women of the past and make it glow even brighter while we have it, make women's rights uh, go even further uh, toward true equality and to pass it on to the next generation. So that's what this month means to me. It's very significant. And Governor Kathy Hochul, what are your thoughts also about Ketanji Brown-Jackson, of Supreme Court nominee? She would be the first African-American woman to the high court should she get confirmed. She is a woman of great accomplishment, but also an inspiration to women going forward and young girls who will see someone like her to know that a black woman could preside on the most significant in the most significant place of uh, judgment in our in our country, and that is Supreme Court of the United States. And when they see her up there, they will know that the women have accomplished and have been able to be elevated to every every position of importance in this country. And so it's a, it's a huge point of pride, uh, something that is going to be out there going forward where people can say, yes, this young woman, a woman of color, of great uh, intellect and, and integrity and accomplishment is able to be a Supreme Court judge. So once again, it's about allowing other people, you know, young women in particular, to see women during their own lifetime to be able to achieve what had not been done before. You know, Hillary Clinton formally endorsed you at the Democratic Convention, um, speaking of, of a, of a well-known woman. Do you think we'll see her run for president? What are your thoughts? Do you think uh, that's around the corner? I don't know, but I certainly have supported her in the past. But I will also say that to have someone like that, even in my own lifetime, who I still look to as someone who had to endure you know, tremendous uh, you know, adversity, a lot of criticism in, in the political world, which is you know, very common for particularly women, it's, it's still a place where you know, one of those male-dominated fields where it's still a lot of doors to be opened. And I saw that when I was running for my first office 25 years ago. I was the only woman on a town board. I was the only woman who had served in countywide office at the time I served. When I went to Congress, only 20% women. And for a time, I was the uh, the only woman in state government. I'm so proud to have uh, Attorney General Tish James, so now 50% of 
state office holders are women. So again, we're making making, making progress. But Hillary Clinton, uh, another New Yorker, very proud of what she has done. But also, people can look to her and say, "This is how you do it. You run with integrity. You run with class, and you have to." withstand a lot of slings and arrows, but uh, the pursuit of public service is still certainly worth the, uh, the efforts. Do you hope she runs? Uh, I will support her. I really am a big supporter of hers, but I have no idea what she's going to do. And I'm also uh, you know, proud to be the leader of not just the state government, also you know, the party in the state of New York. And I'm going to continue elevating the stories of other Democrats and their accomplishments. I'm working on our state budget right now uh, with individuals who also believe we can do so much to help people through these tough times. We just came through a a horrific two-year experience, the pandemic, which has still left a lot of people reeling and not, you know, still not having the jobs that they once had and some facing eviction and dealing people dealing with inflation right now and the high cost of gas. So we have a lot of challenges and I'm really proud to be in a position to be able to address those very real concerns and issues affecting New Yorkers. And again, the budget's going to be a statement of our priorities and people will know who we're fighting for and that's what we do as Democrats, but also, most importantly, as New Yorkers. Yeah, and you have been, I know, so, so busy with all of that. And, and Governor Hochul, one of the other things, too, you know, you have uh, just recently passed, and I thought it was really powerful, you signed the 30 by 30 pledge, um, increasing representation of women in state police ranks. Tell us about why that was important. And that sends a powerful message to do again on Women's History Month. Yes, uh, for since I've been was lieutenant governor for over seven, half, three, eight years, I've always participated in the graduations of our state police academy. Very proud of the hard work and the sacrifice they go through to be able to be out there, literally on the streets and in our highways and areas of uh, you know, where they can be service to New Yorkers. So I've always attended those, but I've always been struck by the fact that there's so few women in the audience. This year, I recall, we had over 200 individuals in the academy, and I think maybe 37 were women. So we still have a long way to go, but they they are just incredible what they have to overcome to get there in the first place, the stamina they have to exude. But I also know we we can do this, and we need to send women out there and encourage more women to want to be part of academies, police academies all over, because they're, they're an important part of representing who we are, our values, to be able to respond to people in their greatest time of need, which is what police officers are often called to do. Our, certainly our state police have to do that. But to only have such a small number of women in this day and age, I said, no, we have to do better than this. So I did put forth a challenge. I want to have 30% of our police force, our state police force, be women by the year 2030. But I'm actually really trying hard to break that even before then. So uh, that's one of my one of my uh, uh, goals to have as far as elevating women in the state of New York even my own administration, I have made sure that women have a very important place in the seats of you know, in, uh, great influence. The head of economic development for the state is a woman. The person who oversees Wall Street, our Department of Financial Services superintendent, is a strong woman, a woman of color. Uh, we have, I have about 25 uh, major positions in our administration that are occupied by women. So again, these are true public servants. I've asked them to you know, be out there in all their respective positions, fighting for New Yorkers every single day. And I'm really proud of what they're accomplishing, even in the short seven months I've been governor. Yeah, that's right. It has only been a short bit of time, but you really hit the ground running, Governor Hochul. And, you know, you, of course, took over from Andrew Cuomo. And I want to get your thoughts because you have been such a champion, of course, uh, against fighting 
against um, sexual assault, sexual harassment. I know when you were lieutenant governor, you championed the enough is enough law to prevent sexual assault on college campuses. Um, Also such a fighter for women. And I think um, it was so pivotal to have you become the first female governor and to have a female governor of New York after Andrew Cuomo. How emotional was that for you to take over after him? Because he was accused by so many women, many women, of sexual harassment. Well, I was a lieutenant governor for a number of years. I knew that that it, you know one of my responsibilities was to be prepared, and that's why when I ascended to this position, I felt very confident that I have the lifetime of public service and the ability from being lieutenant governor all the way back to my other positions, as well as someone who's been engaged in uh, causes my entire life, and I, I knew I could handle this. And so uh, emotional for a couple seconds to say this is quite incredible to be able to be elevated to such a high position, a a position of great trust, a position where people look to you for leadership. But I also felt all along that I I can handle this, and I I feel very comfortable in this role. And I also worked hard to create a different culture, a culture where women felt valued, they felt respected. And that is something I'm working to do every single day so they know that the state of New York and every workplace is free of harassment and to ensure that people feel that they are uh, lifted in their positions because of their results and certainly not because of anything else. Was that hard to erase that sort of, you know, I guess the the stain that came with so many of the allegations of Andrew Cuomo? Um, How important was that for you to send that message? And I know even just recently, um, fittingly, just, uh, gosh, about two weeks ago, you signed bills that address sexual harassment in the workplace, a very powerful message. I knew I'd be in a position to send a different message and to have a completely different tone toward my role as governor and to, you know, not just by walking in the door as a woman, but also to make dramatic changes when there are allegations of harassment, that it's not handled by the same people who might be aware of what's going on, that it's handled by outside attorneys now. Make sure that our harassment training is not just done by a few individuals, but by everyone in state government and done in person. So you don't get the situation where people uh, check the box by clicking through their annual training. So, and also setting up a different, uh, a whole different culture. And that, that's just the beginning. We have ideas also dealing with ethics overall in our, in our budget. We're working hard to just really persuade and, and, and show New Yorkers that it is a, do, a new era for New York. And I'm very proud of that. And uh, Governor Hochul, um, my last question to you, um, what I think is amazing, you have also, you joined um, your mom and your aunt, I was reading, in establishing a transitional home for victims of domestic violence. You've had a lot of, obviously, amazing female role models, given that it is Women's History Month. You mentioned Susan B. Anthony, but who have been some of the um, the modern day role models for you? And what's your message to women out there? Well, politically, I used to, you know, I was a young girl growing up in Buffalo and very involved in many causes that, uh, you know, my parents believed in. And I was supportive of people. I remember I was young, but remember when Shirley Chisholm ran for president even, I saw how courageous it took a woman of color from New York to be able to do something like that. But at a personal level, uh, the most influential person in my life was my mother, who endured great hardship as a young girl, uh, a child of of parents that uh, there was abuse in the home, emotional abuse. The father who walked out left my mother living in very dire circumstances with with her then single mom. So I I saw how she rose up from that and wanted to channel her own life experiences to be a way to help others, which is why even back in the 70s, she became a 
an advocate for victims of domestic violence. She testified at assembly hearings to get the laws changed to protect women from abusive spouses. And then ultimately, when she was 70 years old, we worked to put together a home for victims of domestic violence because many women need to leave the environment they're in. It's abusive, and they and their children need a place to heal. And that's what we created. And so that that has been a lifelong influence on me, the activism of my parents, but also seeing how uh, we could live by my mother's the bumper sticker that was, or not the, the sticker that was on our refrigerator, which said, go into the world and do well, but more importantly, go into the world and do good. And that is what my mother left with me. That is what we lived as uh, children growing up in her household. That is what I've done as an adult. And to this day, that is uh, enshrined on her headstone when we visit her after I lost her a number of years ago. So that is seared in who I am as a person, that we have a responsibility to do good for other people. And my mother was the greatest influence who imparted that to me. Wow, what a beautiful message. And I'm sure your mother is just smiling down from heaven right now, seeing that her daughter uh, became New York's first female governor. Pleasure to have you here and a privilege to have you here to talk about women's issues and the importance of women and uh, to have a fighter like you in New York and in the country. Thank you so much, Governor Kathy Hochul. Great to have you here. Thank you, Rita. Appreciate the opportunity. And great to have her here again, Women's History Month. Boy, a lot of women's issues to talk about here. And great to have Governor Kathy Hochul, New York's first female governor. Wow, very cool. On a time where we're talking about women's issues and women in law enforcement, obviously sexual harassment, and boy, a busy time. We're grateful that she came because she's in the middle of all the budget talks right now that's happening in New York. There are so many things going on. So it was great to have her here on the show. Let's take your calls, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to LQ on line eight. LQ, great to have you here on the show. Okay, God's mercy and blessings all, and especially for Women's History Month. But um, a man can't be a man without... Oh, good woman. But uh, LQ, uh, we need more guys like you. I love that. And and you know what? There are a lot of important issues. Think about, you know, for her to be the first female governor, LQ, fascinating. Of course, she comes in, you know, after all of the, you know, massive uh, sexual harassment allegations that were against Cuomo. Um, and there's so many major issues going on right now with women, you know, across the country. So there's a lot that she's juggling um, but I thought uh, I thought it was great to have her here and important to have her here, too, especially with Women's History Month and, and grateful that she took the time to LQ. Yes, I, I know you want to, you know, come on again and she's going to really get, you know, running. She's going to really get all the questions of, um, you know, which, you know, of, of course, the, um, the nursing issue, how she feels about the, you know, Como and the real, you know, really get that. So there's a time for that, but this wasn't what always, it wasn't is accomplishment, caution, the accomplish, accomplishments of women. And um, uh, we just got to keep on doing better. Absolutely. LQ, great to hear from you. Thanks so much. Always great to get your calls. And when we come back, we are going to continue today with your calls on the Rita Cosby Show. 1-800-848-9222. one 800 848 This is the Rita Cosby Show.
And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. We just had our interview with Kathy Hochul focused on women's issues because it is Women's History Month. Obviously, a lot of stuff to talk about with sexual harassment issues, women in law enforcement. Um, And interesting to get her perspective and also to hear about her role models, too. Um, You know, growing up, her mother, um, the powerful messages that she got um, as a, you know, as a young person from her mother that guided her through her career. It was really interesting and great to have her on. And we look forward to having her back on again soon at some point. We'd love to have her talking about bail reform and talking about the budget. And boy, there's a lot of other red hot issues, which we definitely will get to at some point with Governor Hochul here on the Rita Cosby Show. And looking forward to taking your calls, talking about that. Also talking about the Ukraine-Russia war, because Russia is claiming, oh, that they're backing up, that they are de-escalating. But then the Pentagon says, uh 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 it just looks like they are reconstituting and possibly planning another strategy and another layer to this brutal war. Where do you see things headed? And do you believe that the Russians can be trusted in any shape or form? So far, they have broken so many promises and the airstrikes continue to brutalize the Ukrainian population. And in fact, we're hearing that air raid sirens are continuing and that strikes are continuing around Kiev. Also, many on those eastern cities, as it looks like they are trying to create a land bridge in those areas. And that's why Mariupol is a strategic, strategic city for the Russians. And they continue to pound and decimate that city, which now, again, as according to new reports, more than 90 percent are in rubble. By the way, also new numbers in terms of refugees, too, coming in, that some four million people are now refugees who have fled Ukraine since the war started. It has only been a little over a month, and already 4 million people have left the country. They believe more than 6.5 million have been displaced within the country, and they believe that number is just the tip of the iceberg. What are your thoughts about all of this, everybody? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to, let's go to Al, who's on line three. Al, go ahead. Your thoughts about all this. Where do you see it headed with uh, Russia, and can you trust Putin in any shape or form? Well, hey, hi, Rita. Uh, regarding Putin, I was a researcher and worked for Peter Hannaford, one of the speechwriters for Ronald Reagan. And Reagan said, the bottom line is that the only thing you can trust about a lying Russian communist is that he'll always be a lying Russian communist. So at least they're at least they're consistent, Al. At least at least that's a reliable, consistent message. Uh, But you're right. I don't trust him. You know, they're claiming that they're moving, that they're doing some sort of, you know, reconfiguring, but also heading home. There's no evidence, according to our Pentagon, that they're heading home. And, of course, our thoughts and prayers are with the Ukrainian people tonight because, boy, maybe the worst is yet to come. And everybody is bracing to see what the Russians have in store. Everybody, when we come back, Eric Adams is talking about moving the homeless What do you think of that strategy? Will it drop crime? Feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. I know your name is Rita. I'm smelling sweet. Since when I saw you down. 
listening to the Rita Cosby Show. There have been a lot of crimes of late across the country involving individuals who are homeless. And we've talked about the issue of no cash bail. We've talked about the high recidivism rate of criminals. And I do think it is important to get tough on criminals and send a message to them that they cannot repeat offend and that they cannot get away with doing some serious crimes. And we've seen a case of late, a number of them that have just made huge headlines across the country and come back to a number of homeless individuals. One of them is a guy, this is Asamad Nash. He was a homeless man who was charged in the murder of Chinatown resident Christina Yuna Lee. Remember, this happened last month. Terrible story. Followed her into her Chinatown apartment. 35-year-old woman, uh, late at night, um, had a lengthy rap sheet. And if you look at his rap sheet, it was a mile long. Arrests in New York and New Jersey dating back to 2012 when he was just a teen. Um, They also include petty crimes, also some much more serious crimes as well as robbery. And you're saying, what was this guy doing on the street? A homeless guy didn't have a address, and was basically out there and followed her and committed this horrible, horrible, heinous crime where he stabbed her as she was shouting out for help from her Chinatown apartment, just saw her and followed her randomly. It's a horrible, horrible story, and we talked about it here on the show. Another case, too, in California of a homeless man who allegedly killed a 24-year-old UCLA graduate student. I remember talking about this one, too, this case. This happened in January of this year. Brianna Kupfer, she was working at her furniture store, and this guy comes in early in the morning, a homeless guy again with a rap sheet a mile long, comes in and stabs her to death. It is a horrible, horrible story. And finds out he was at a shelter, got out of the shelter, and then... Uh, Also, if you look at his rap sheet, he had been freed at the time on a $50,000 bond for firing a weapon at an occupied car in South Carolina on the other coast. This happened in L.A., this one, where he killed Brianna Kupfer, but he had arrests in multiple states across this country. And also, what was he doing out? If you look, he had a history of lots of problems, and yes, A lot of these homeless people, yes, are mentally disturbed. They have problems. They have serious issues. Yet, on the other hand, there have been so many criminal cases tied to people who are homeless. Now in New York, in the last day or so, and particularly today, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, has come out and said he wants to clean up the streets of New York. So I want to hear your thoughts tonight as to do you think he is finding the right balance? I'm happy to hear that he's making statements like, okay, you know, we want to be sympathetic to those people who are homeless because obviously your heart breaks. A lot of people down on their luck. Um, They have issues. They have problems. Um, You want to try to help as many people as you can, obviously. I certainly do and would like to help people who are down on their luck. On the other hand, He's also saying we need to clean up these encampments. He has cleaned up close to 240 of these, quote, encampments of homeless people. Some of them with just one individual, some with multiple people that are on the streets of New York, sometimes right on the sidewalk, sometimes under bridges. Um, And he is saying, "Okay, we're going to move them into facilities. Um, We're going to move them into group homes. 
And now a number of homeless advocates are saying, you know what, this is not really the solution. There needs to be more done. They need to have individual rooms. They need to have additional rights. They need to have training. They need to have this. Um, I think all of these things are well and good if they can break the cycle. But I don't hear anything about what about the average citizen who's walking by and feels terrorized by sometimes a lot of these homeless people, too. You know, we need to also be honest and say that a lot of these people are committing serious, serious crimes. So is this the right balance that Eric Adams has? Cleaning up the streets, talking about homeless individuals, having compassion. But don't we also have to have an honest discussion at the same time that many of these homeless individuals are, yes, mentally unstable? I mean, we've heard of these cases that I just mentioned. Clearly, they're mentally unstable, But that doesn't mean that they should maybe necessarily just go to a homeless shelter. Maybe they need to be checked out further. And maybe there needs to be much more of a conversation about tough love and not just saying, okay, well, they have issues, let's try to help them. It brings open the issue of so many times when we have heard about these multiple cases, especially these horrible cases that have happened in New York and in California and many cities across the country We often hear, oh, well, a homeless person, I feel bad for him. You know what? If they committed a heinous crime, clearly, I think most people who have committed a heinous crime, have they're off the rocker. But we also have to teach them a powerful lesson. So I think it's also time that we also realize that it's not necessarily fair for the rest of us to have to walk by when we see people who are not just sleeping out on the streets, obviously try to help them if we can and put them in a safe place. On the other hand, a lot of them are committing crimes. And it's also very scary at night when you see people who are wandering around. We all have seen it. We've seen the quality of life in cities like New York and Chicago and Los Angeles, Pennsylvania, so many major cities across America. The quality of life has just deteriorated so much. And I think so much of it in part, look at New York, Mayor Bill de Blasio, It was like he almost just ignored the fact that there were homeless on the streets. And guess what? They expanded exponentially. And you never heard him condemning how bad it looked to have homeless on the streets. So guess what? They're allowed to be there. And it was like they almost had more rights than the average citizen. Isn't it time where we also say, well, maybe this contributes to some of the crime that's happening. Maybe this isn't really appealing for young women or men walking by at night or children walking by during the day. You know, during COVID, sometimes you'd always see them out on the street and begging and coming after you or chasing after you. You know, we have to also be honest about some of the results of what's happening. And they are sort of part of the deterioration of life. Obviously, try to help them, try to do what we can. But is Eric Adams going far enough? Because he seems to very much be talking about helping the homeless as opposed to saying it being not very attractive for anybody walking on the streets of New York City. And anybody who's walked the streets of New York City or L.A. has seen these tent cities. What about Washington, D.C.? You get off in Union Station, and there's that big area, that big lawn right there in Union Station. Guess what? It used to be when I worked in, I worked for Fox in Washington, and I was senior correspondent for Fox in Washington. Covered White House, Capitol Hill. I'd walk by there every day. See it every day. I used to never see any homeless people there. 
And I was there not too long ago. I almost couldn't see the train station. There were so many tents that were right in front of the train station. It was like tent city, all homeless people. Same thing in San Francisco. Right there in that Tenderloin district, it is filled with tent after tent after tent. And many political people do not want to move them. I'm happy to hear that Eric Adams, and I'll give him a good shout out, that he is moving some of them because it is an unsightly thing. And I think it contributes to the decline of a city, the decline of a great city like New York. I was born in New York. I love New York. I want the best for it. I want the best for all these cities. But is he missing the mark by solely talking about making sure that they get well taken care of, as opposed to also saying that they add to the decline tremendously of great cities like New York and Philadelphia and California and so many major cities? Because you look at it, it comes sort of part and parcel with the decline and also the increase, on the other hand, of crime. Here is Eric Adams talking a little bit ago about his mission to help those who are living on the streets. Take a listen. As the mayor of all of us, including my homeless brothers and sisters, I'm not leaving any New Yorkers behind. We're moving together. And that is the goal of what we must accomplish. I'm not abandoning anyone. I'm not believing that dignity is living in a cardboard without a shower, without a toilet, living in terrible living conditions. Uh, This city is now engaged in a multi-agency mission. Multi-layered mission. So I also want to hear him talk about crime. What is happening with crime in New York City and the fact that so many of these individuals that we've been hearing of for some of the most heinous crimes in New York and California and Philly and so many of these places are indeed homeless individuals. So it's sort of this philosophy. They go before the judge. Oh, I feel bad for you. You had a difficult childhood. You're homeless. Well, that doesn't mean you should put them back out on the streets so they can terrorize everybody else. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Here's a little more of Eric Adams talking about his efforts to clean up the encampments of homeless individuals in New York, which, by the way, I do think that's a great thing. He's at least cleaning it up. There's a lot of cities that kind of go, uh, the liberal mayors, what homeless? What do you mean? You know, when it's very transparent, at least he's acknowledging they exist and trying to clean them up. But is he missing some of the key elements on fighting crime, too? Take a listen. Ignore the noise. Ignore the noise. This is the first inning of our ninth inning game. I'm not concerned about striking out. I'm not concerned about someone hitting our pitches. I'm concerned about the end of this game. And when this game is over, we're going to have a city far better than a dysfunctional city that we've witnessed for far too long. And let's go to your calls. What do you make of Eric Adams' effort to get rid of the homeless encampments? He says he's gotten rid of 239 of them. In New York, those are people living on sidewalks, under bridges, things like that. Uh, I bet, I think I probably saw about 100 of them today, so we still got a lot more to go. But what do you make of these efforts? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Lisa on line four. Lisa, your thoughts about what the mayor is doing and also what Democratic mayors basically across the country, at least he's trying. A lot of them don't even acknowledge that they have a homeless problem, Lisa. Well, 
you know, he has a fantastic opportunity here to be a leader because he wants to go out and say, my cops, my police force, my mayors. He could actually set a precedence. But my, if he's listening, pick up the phone and call Rudy Giuliani, which I'm hoping he does. He probably won't. But if he wants to get this right and really, really have people look up to him instead of saying, gee, he's wearing $1,500 suits and he's all talk and he's a de Blasio boy, pick up the phone and call Rudy. I agree. Get a plan. Get a plan. And it doesn't have to be 100% Rudy's plan, but at least hear what Rudy has to say. He did it. He did it right. And he could, again, he could be a superstar. I agree. I agree. And look, he seems to be making clearly some strides and making a lot of steps. But I still wonder, does it go far enough? And just like you said, he could certainly use, I think, some good guidance from Rudy. I 1000 percent agree. Lisa, thank you very, very much. Let's go to Pete on line three. Pete, your thoughts about Mayor Adams moving the homeless off the streets. Uh, At least it's a start, Pete. Yeah, Rita, but, you know, listen, they're still in the subway. I mean, they're not doing anything in the subway, and that's where the crimes are being committed. These people, they mostly have mental illness. This has to be addressed, mostly veterans that are in the uh, subway, mostly people uh, looking to shut down the Brooklyn VA. That would be a tragedy because all the people that I know from Staten Island, that's where they go, and they're getting help. uh, Trump got everything going for them. It started working. It started getting med- good medical care. Now, that's not happening now. When I run into these people in the street that were veterans, they're all saying, we're lost. You know, I didn't want them to go to regular hospitals. That's a good idea. The only thing is, in the regular hospital, they're not going to get the care that they need. They're not going to get the counseling. No, you're because right. You and, don't have that. And by the way, that is, Pete, one of the things, too, that he is talking about as well. He is saying, indeed, that he wants to like have them go to shelters, uh, go to some hospitals. I agree. You, you brought up a great point because you're right. A number of them are also veterans. And that, to me, is it's always so heartbreaking when I see them saying, you know, hey, I was in you know Vietnam or I was here, I was here. Um, you know, please help. You know, I, you know, I'm a softie whenever I, of course, see that it's a veteran and someone who's gone through some difficult times like that. And I feel bad for the homeless. It's when it gets to criminal action by the homeless and people make the excuse of because, oh, okay, well, they were homeless. You know, if anything, um, if you look at some of the track record of some of these ones of late, it's been really serious. Um, and your point about subway is absolutely spot on because there are still a lot of crimes happening on the subway. Mayor Adams did add more police, more law enforcement. That was a good thing. And some of the numbers have been down. But year to date, I was just seeing, Pete, in fact, that on the New York City subway, for example, crime is up 70 percent this year um, compared to last year. So there are a lot of people who are saying they don't even want to go on the subway just because they are so concerned and they have seen so many homeless people still kind of wandering around. And just like you said, it does not feel safe on the subway still, no matter what these sort of efforts are that he's trying to do. And you're right, that is a major, major issue. And just because they move from one place, where do they put them? Some of them they put in a facility. Some of them they just get moved. And you're right, they just go to the subway or they move to another block. You know, they moved to another area. I mean, they clearly haven't. I saw, I must have seen, I kid you not, I probably saw 
at least two or three dozen homeless people today alone. So clearly there's still big encampments out there. There's still a lot of encampments out there that need to be addressed. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody, after the break. What do you make of Mayor Eric Adams of New York saying, we are moving the homeless people off the streets, under the bridges. We're moving them out. We're going to put them in homeless facilities because we want to be kind to all New Yorkers. Is that the right approach? Do you think it can be effective? Do you think it's smoke and mirrors? Because there's a lot of homeless. And I also contend, I'm happy to hear at least a Democrat saying, yeah, let's move some. It's about time. Because surely Bill de Blasio didn't do that. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. This is the Rita Cosby Show. Listening to the Rita Cosby Show, and we are talking about Mayor Eric Adams starting to clean up the streets and remove the homeless from their encampments. He has removed 239 encampments so far. I think there's about 10,000 still more to go, but at least he's making some headway. And surely after Mayor Bill de Blasio, who was like, what homeless, even though they were like all over the place. At least this mayor is at least trying to remove them. So where are they going? Well, they're going to different homeless facilities. And homeless advocates say that they have a real problem with where he is sending them to because they say most of these are sort of group homes and that there's a lot of crime taking place in these homeless shelters. So they're saying he's not going far enough. Take a listen. Well, the solution is housing, right? And the cause of mass homelessness, especially in these large cities, is the lack of affordable housing. So that's sort of, I think that sometimes people mistake, um, you know, the correlation of it's a liberal city and there's a big homeless population with causation, when in reality, the, the common denominator across all of these different cities is that there is a significant lack of affordable housing. So where should they go? And do you give Eric Adams at least, I'd give him at least, uh, you know, a grade for trying. Still has a long way to go. But also, we also need to address the fact that there have been a number of high-profile crimes with homeless individuals. And for some reason, many in the liberal establishment don't want to point to that either and don't want to talk about fixing the mental illness issue. And also making sure that those don't use the excuse of mental illness for crimes that they are committing. Because, boy, many in New York are deeply concerned about that everywhere you turn. And it's gotten so bad you see homeless everywhere in New York. And a lot of them are committing crimes, some serious crimes, some petty crimes, too, as well. Obviously, we also want to try to help them, too, and put them in a safe facility and try to get them to get their lives back and to have a good quality of life, too. So there's a balance. But are we finding that balance? one 800 848 Let's go to Robert in Philadelphia on line four. Robert, your thoughts about this. Go ahead. How you doing, Rita? Um, before I get to my point, and I'll be quick, I am proud to report, in keeping with Women's History Month, that the new Tactical Watch Officer of the Year happens to be a female was just named, and I'm proud to say she's my daughter. <laughs> oh, my goodness. By the way, how I great know. is that? So wait, Tactical Watch, where was this? Where did she get the award? 
Well, she's stationed out on an island in the Puget Sound, but it was a command-wide survey of Tactical Watch Command officers, and she's been doing really well, and this is just the icing on the cake for her, and I've been walking on a cloud all day. Oh, my goodness. Well, bravo to you, and super bravo to your daughter. That is really, really awesome. I love hearing that. That is such great news. Robert, thanks so much, and thanks for calling in. When we come back, we're going to continue with your calls on this, and we're also going to talk about Will Smith, because now it turns out that the Academy asked him to leave, but he refused to. Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, well, you just heard we were honoring one of them, Robert, who called in from Philadelphia. He was talking about his daughter, which was great, in the military. And now we have another wonderful story to share tonight. Uh, This is coming from Farmington, New Mexico. Navy veteran Vincent Prespent stood by his daughter, fastened to his jacket the lapel pin that commemorates his service during the Vietnam War period. The resident of Farmington, New Mexico, was just among dozens of Vietnam veterans whose military service was thanked and honored. Actions that several presenters said was well overdue on National Vietnam War Veterans Day which was March 29th of this week, of course, an important, important day. The Desert Gold Chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution held the ceremony to mark the fifth anniversary of the day at Vietnam Veterans Park in Farmington. And one of the DAR board members explained that the pin that they gave to him and to the others Uh, The design on it includes an eagle to represent courage, honor, and dedicated service to the nation, while the color of blue matches the canton of the American flag and signifies vigilance, perseverance, and justice. And to all of you Vietnam veterans, who I know many of you listen to this show because I love you all, welcome home. And thank you so, so much for your great service. Well, we are talking about Eric Adams, who is cleaning up the streets of New York and getting rid of some of these homeless encampments. So far, he has gotten rid of 239 of them, and he's going to be bringing them, the individuals, the homeless folks that are there on the streets and many of them on the sidewalks and under bridges and elsewhere. So far, a number of them he is bringing to group facilities. Now, he's also offering social services to them. Um, even helping with jobs, helping with mental illness. A lot of them have it. Um, but if you listen to some of the numbers, first of all, there's a lot more than 239 homeless encampments in New York City alone. And this is a problem on so many cities across the country, which is why it is such an important issue to talk about. Only five of the people that have been displaced have really taken advantage of the social services and have really been using some of the housing, some of the job stuff, some of the other things. So a lot of them are saying they don't want the help. So what do we do? How do we turn this around? And also it comes at a time where some of the most high-profile cases in our country, that woman, Brianna Kupfer, the UCLA grad student, remember, who was stabbed to death at a furniture store on a Saturday morning suddenly when someone came in, that was a homeless guy. The woman who was stabbed in Chinatown, who was followed into her apartment 
in Chinatown, that was a homeless guy. So they are committing a lot of the crimes. Are we going too soft on them? And what more needs to be done? It's a very complex issue, but it's a really important one. Let's go to Joel, who's on line five. Joel, what do you think should be done? And what do you make of Eric Adams' plan? Well, I think it's a good start, but I think really what needs to be done, first off, he needs to have a conversation with your first guest, Kathy Hochul, because I think this is a problem that's statewide that needs to be solved in in Albany. I think that what needs to be done is the kind of like a, a new homeless city created outside of New York City, about 300 miles from it. So that's you know in a in a uh, different area, so it would be difficult for the uh, for those people who leave that area, which would be okay if they do, to come back to the city. And when they come back to the city, we need to reinstate. We actually need to reinstate right now the aspect of the vagrancy laws of the 50s and 60s, or whenever it was last in the past, where it was illegal to be homeless on the street, and you take action on it. You don't throw them in prison, but you bring them to these cities where they are treated. Uh, such where they can come either productive members of society again or subsist however they wish and maybe have the psychiatric support as well. Well, And you know what's interesting, Joel? You talk about some of the psychiatric because a lot of them don't want to get help. I mean, here he is. He's moving them, and he's saying go to these group homes, and that's not a very good track record, and even the mayor concedes it isn't, but he's moved 239, and I contend there's a couple zeros after that if you look at all the different ones that are all over the streets, just in New York alone. Think about all the other you know, cities around the country, but we're talking about New York now. And of the New York ones that have moved, only five people have taken advantage of social services. That, that's not a good batting average, Joel. In, in sports, that's a dismal record. I agree with you on that, but the thing is, is that if we're going to make this effective, then when they leave those facilities, it has to be difficult to come back to the city. And again, as I was saying, if you were to, if you were to, if you were to create within the the uh, laws of New York City, where it's no longer legal to subsist on the streets, this would alter everything. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and 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 I think I think it's worth the discussion of that because. What happened was the opposite was happening, especially over the last few years. And look at you see it even with Mayor Bill de Blasio. It was like a welcome sign, like set up a camp wherever you want to. And you've seen that in a lot of these liberal cities. We saw it in, look in San Francisco. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable scene. That area, there's that one particular area where they are all camped. It's like a whole city. And people are afraid to go in. People are afraid to go, you know, around it. There's a lot of crime associated. There's needles all over the place. In fact, even Eric Adams in the press conference today when he was talking about it, he showed pictures and it was like it was like there are piles and piles of needles all over the place, you know, and he was saying, you know, this isn't fair for them to live this way. It's not fair for us to live this way. So I'm glad at least he's trying. But but you're right. It's a revolving door unless you fix the problem. And also make sure that no drugs are allowed. I mean, there are these so many layers to this. It's not as simple as saying, hey, we're going to move you. And what, they're just going to move to another street. Um, Joel, thank you very much. Great call. Let's go to Norman in Brooklyn. Go ahead, Norm. You're on line two. Your thoughts about all this, Norm? Hi, Rita. Um, I, look, I, I kudos to Mayor Adams. Uh, I don't think we have so much of a homeless problem, but we have a drug addiction problem. And I, you know, I mean, why are they coming? These people are not all New Yorkers. They come from other states to here because we have good drugs. They can still get a check. 
and um, they can subsist here. This doesn't happen in Boise. It doesn't happen in Helena. Not to the not to the amounts of them that come here that, that we have here. I mean, I, I just you know, I, it's a good start, but you know, we we're going to have to do something about our drug problem. Yeah, here. I agree. You know, By the way, cocaine. I agree. Fentanyl, yeah, I mean that that's the that's the main issue. And I and I and you know And you can't you also can't create allow the climate where it's acceptable. Like you're saying, you know, it's sort of been there are a lot of communities across the country where it's not acceptable, where people start setting up camps and start setting up and guess what? The people are calling police and going, uh 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 you know what I mean? And you can't create this climate where that is allowed too, because just like you said there are a lot of these homeless campments where our breeding grounds, like some of the places now in San Francisco, for example, there's like a tent city. And I brought up also the example of right in front of Union Station in Washington, D.C. It's like a huge campment. You think it's like a campground. And they're all homeless people there. And you could tell they're high as a kite. It's really scary. And it just breeds all these issues that you're talking about and just saying, oh, we're just going to move them somewhere, um, it, it, that's not the solution. I, I hear you because there is a lot of crime and a lot of drugs and a lot of them coming from them. And we have to have a sort of a comprehensive approach to stop this process. I'm glad at least to see there's some cleaning up, uh, but there certainly needs to be a lot more. I agree with you. Let's go to Carl on line three. Carl, your thoughts about this. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Rita, for taking my call. Can you hear me? I hear you crystal clear. Go ahead. Listen, I my idea, uh, uh, the, the the gentleman that called, uh, the, 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 the one before the, the last one that called, he said that they need to move these people out to a city outside of, you know, the major cities, and they have to be treated and taken care of somewhere else, you know, like, like where there's psychiatric treatments and uh, drug rehabilitation. What I some laws may have to be changed, but um, I believe I believe that. But we we should get my idea. You, we should get FEMA, FEMA, Homeland Security involved in this crisis because FEMA already has facilities in every state. They have they have facilities where they could be actually places where they could take all these homeless people and actually have the doctors there at, at the at the FEMA facilities treating all these homeless people and rehabilitating them, giving them psychiatric treatment. Now, Carl, what I do you do? I'm, I'm going to do uh, get to play devil's advocate. Um, first off, it's interesting you bring that because, you know, it's federal emergency management. And boy, I think the crime and homeless problem are emergency. So I, I hear you on that. But what do you do when there are these homeless people who just don't want help? Here's Eric Adams saying, hey, you know, come and, here's what we're offering, here's what we're doing, and only five people out of the 239 encampments actually go get help. I mean, that's not a good track record. They, they don't want it because even where they take them, it's very dangerous in the, in the, in the shelters where they put them. They, 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 uh, their, their belongings get robbed. They, they get, uh, they're, they're actually attacked by other homeless people. But living on the street isn't exactly safe either, you know? I mean, no, Carl, no, I mean, my no. goodness. I feel bad for I, I, them in both scenarios, I, I, you know? I agree, but but I believe, that, you know, part of the, you know, maybe the, the, the part of the answer should be they have to change some laws. They have to get FEMA 
Homeland Security involved in this crisis. Now, I have something else I want to I want to I want to mention, and it maybe it belongs on the other side of midnight. But uh, this subject has not been brought up at all. But yeah, God real forbid, quick, real quick, Carl. Okay, just... God, God, God forbid we have an EMP or we or New York City gets hit with, a, with, with some kind of a bomb, either from North Korea or from Russia. We have no, no bunkers for the general public. The, the elite and very powerful have places to go that are provided by, by the government. Okay, but if you're not a member of that club, you are you are excluded. There but, is and no by, by the way, Carl, that's an interesting point. And and sadly, you know, these conversations about nukes and all these other things are definitely you know being discussed with all the crazy stuff with Russia and and Ukraine, the terrible war that's happening over there, and reports that Putin's hiding out in some bunker, and some of his other folks hiding out in, in bunkers. Um, but that's that's a really, really powerful point. And boy, I never thought we'd be talking about it. But um, sadly, it's a relevant topic as it's something that uh, the world and the Defense Department are looking at in a lot of different layers. But that's really interesting. That is a really fascinating point. Everybody, we're also talking tonight. I want to get in before the show ends um, talking about uh, Chris Rock because we just got a comment from him. It just came in. Chris Rock, of course, got slapped, as we're talking about crimes, got slapped by Will Smith at the Oscars. And everybody's wondering, well, what's going to happen? Because if a normal person, we've been talking about crime that happens, you know, a serious crime that's happened as a result of homeless people. Well, guess what? There was a crime that happened right before our eyes, if you were watching the Academy Awards, the Oscars. And, of course, we know Will Smith goes over and smacks Chris Rock uh, after he makes a comment about Will Smith's wife and her hair. And now we are being told that the Academy Awards, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, which governs it, asked Will Smith, the superstar actor, to leave the Oscars, the leave the broadcast. We're not sure if it was like right after the smack or after he got the Oscar. Remember, he won an Oscar that night, too. It was such a surreal night. But they asked him to leave, and he refused. And they are now looking into what kind of disciplinary action should happen against Will Smith. So I want to hear your thoughts tonight that do you think he should be suspended? Do you think that maybe ultimately some criminal charges could come, not just from them? It wouldn't be from them. They're more of a dis, you know, disciplinary board, not a criminal board. But the police could still file a report, even if Chris Rock doesn't want to file a report. Um, but the state of California could actually file charges against Will Smith. But you could tell that the Academy is not happy with Will Smith, understanding now that he didn't leave that they had asked him to leave after he smacked Chris Rock. So could he be in trouble? And what would be the appropriate punishment? Here is Chris Rock. This is the first time he has done any sort of public, you know, appearance comedian. You know, he's on the road quite a bit. And he just made some comments a few minutes ago. We just got this in. These are his first sort of comments about what happened to him at the Oscars. Take a listen. I had like a whole show I wrote before <laughs> this weekend and I'm still kind of processing what happened like like I so 
So I'm still sort of processing it. Uh, again, he is not pressing charges, but the state of California could against Will Smith. And now it sounds like the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences says they are not happy with Will Smith, it sounds like, and they are reviewing disciplinary action against him. So I want to hear, we're talking about sort of different standards of justice. Do you think Will Smith should be charged? And what do you think the Academy should do? Should they ban him from future Oscars? Should they ask him to return his Oscar? And what do you make of the fact that they asked him to leave and he refused to leave? Should he have been escorted out because he hung out? Remember, he was dancing afterwards at parties afterwards, mucking it up. Is this a different standard of justice for him than the average American? We're going to take your calls after the break, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. And you're listening to The Rita Cosby Show. It's The Rita Cosby Show. Uh-oh. Well, Will Smith was told to go, as you're hearing from the song there, but he was told by the Academy of Motion Arts and Pictures, Motion Arts and Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. I got it right here. That is the group with that does the Oscars, the Academy Awards, and of course we all saw him go up and smack Chris Rock. And now we're getting reports that right after that happened, he was asked to leave by the organizers, of course, of the Oscars, and he refused. And now they are also looking into disciplinary action against Will Smith. Of course, who could forget this is how it all went down at the Oscars. First, this is Chris Rock's joke that got the ire of Will Smith. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? And, of course, she has short hair. She has a hair issue. But he didn't know what he said, and then suddenly Will Smith goes on stage. Here it is. Uh-oh, Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Did- name out wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name. I'm going to, okay? Well, we were just talking about mental health, and boy, he's got some mental instability, Will Smith. Clearly, he went off. But now we are finding out that he refused to leave, that the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences went over to him and said, you know, you have to leave. You just smack somebody on the stage, and he would not leave. And then he hung out until the end. He got the Oscar, remember, himself also for Best Actor. What a weird night. And then afterwards, he's dancing at the party, hanging out. And now we are hearing that the Academy is meeting. They're going to be meeting in the middle of April to discuss the possibilities of what kind of sanctions that they would do. This is not criminal. The criminal probe could still continue because the state of California could still decide to press charges against Will Smith. But now that we're hearing he refused to leave, boy, he's got a lot of attitude. What do you think, guys? And now we're hearing that the Academy could do a number of things. They could maybe suspend him. They could expel him. 
there are some other type of sanctions that they could do. There's a couple different things of laws of standard, you know, protocol. If you work at a place or you go to an event, you have to adhere to their standards. So do you think that Will Smith, now knowing he was asked to leave and wouldn't, that he goes up and gets the award, too, that same night, and then he's hanging out dancing afterwards, smiling ear to ear, and then only issues an apology after he's pressed to do so to Chris Rock. Remember, he didn't apologize to Chris Rock that night. So where do you think it should go from here? Do you think there should be criminal charges? And what do you think, now that you hear he wouldn't leave? No way, I'm not going anywhere. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Stan in Forest Hills. Stan, what are your thoughts about Will Smith? What do you think should happen to him? Uh, the first part of it is people are dying in hospitals. People are dying overseas. Is this really important? I mean, in the state of things, is this important? But I'll answer your question. But people are fascinated uh, with yeah, it, I'm not Stan. fascinated you know. with these. Here's the point. And they stood up for him after, right? They gave him a standing ovation when he got the award, correct? Yep, you're right. I mean, here's the point. Take away his membership. That's the main thing. He's banned from ever attending any more Oscars. I don't think he cares anyway. He's got his award. And that's it. There's really not much they can do. What, are they going to ban his movies? It just, it's not, it's its nothing, really. But you say, Stan, ban him from the Oscars. Yeah, well, yeah, and take away his membership. That, as a member of the Academy, he can't, he can't be a member and ban him from, the, and ban his movies if you want to. That's where it'll hurt minimal. But the guy's got money. He, I don't think he can. It's ridiculous. It, yeah, although I mean, anything. see, I think Stan, and, and th- Stan, love your calls. Thank you so much. But you know what? I think he would care about being banned from the Academy and banned not at being able, because he's still, you know, still got a lot of movies left in him. I'm sure he'd still love to be nominated again. Maybe he can be nominated, but just can't be present. You know, there's probably different things that can happen. So there's still ways. I think it still would hurt him not to appear. Um, let's go to Eric, who's on line eight. Eric, your thoughts about it. You heard from Stan. Stan says ban him. Stan, Stan. Uh, you know, this always got legs. What does he want? Um, I, there was a lot. There's a line in some movie. Um, someone said something like, um, "Who? Uh, I, I don't like who I am when I'm with you." Like, so who is Will Smith? Like, like he was when he laughed. At the, he laughed at a joke. He giggled, and then he looks over at her, and then he became someone else. So you know, yeah. So what do you think should happen, down. Eric? Real quick, what do you well, think should happen? Well, <laughs> I mean, I think you should lose the Oscar. Maybe if you don't lose it for for going up on stage and slapping the Oscar host, I mean, what does it take? You know, he could have. What he could have done was, you know, and you know, I feel sorry for Chris Rock. Like, he, he didn't know I heard about her. And he, he, you know, he was laughing. He was expecting Will Smith to just ask for the microphone and say something profound. Or exactly. Or even embarrassing stupid. No, no, no. You're right, Eric. He, I don't think he did know. And you can tell he's still trying to figure it all out. Let's see what happens, guys. It was great being with you tonight. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free and investment guide and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.